Welcome to the Rufus Chambers Podcast. Our objective is very simple, to provide you with practical biblical teaching and dialogue that you can apply to your everyday life. We appreciate you tuning in, and our hope is that you will receive something that will empower, encourage, and educate you today. Let's dive into today's discussion. Let me introduce my good friend, my brother, Pastor Cy Four. Cy Four, Pastor Cy Four is the senior pastor of Redemption Worship Center in Maryland. Uh, In addition to being uh, a senior pastor, uh, he's also a leadership consultant. Um, He's an author. He's a praise and worship uh, leader. Um, He is a very dynamic, gifted uh, man of God. Um, A man of God that I literally served with on a day-to-day basis uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. So this isn't somebody that I don't know. I know him very well, him and his lovely uh, wife, Edwina. Um, So, you know, and I praise God that our paths have crossed and that God has planted him uh, in in Maryland, in Maryland. So tonight you're in for a treat. Um, He has a brand new book that we're going to be talking about tonight. The name of that book is Sedition in the Church, Sedition Mm. in the Church. So, you know, um, I'm excited about having him here. So welcome, welcome, welcome back. Welcome back to the show, Pastor Cy Four. So good to have you. Oh, my brother, Rufus, Pastor Rufus Chambers, I want to say thank you, man. Thank you for allowing me to come. It's always an honor to to get a chance to to break bread with 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 brothers in the faith and those that we co-labor with for this assignment that God has placed in our lives and um, also to to be connected to the the strength and, and foundation of good character like yourself and and I just thank God for you being my brother and my friend um, enjoy serving with you want to continue serving with you as we go forward doing this work that God has called us to do. God bless the bridge community in a big way, um, bridging the gap between a lost world and a blessed world. So may God just continue to bless you and your family and and everybody that's on this um, broadcast today. We want to thank God for your life as well. Thank you for having me. Amen, brother. Amen, man. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. And just to be completely transparent, y'all, when um, when Pastor Sai sent me a sneak preview of the book, I did have to get my Bible out. I had to get my concordance out. I had to get some resources <laughs> out to understand what my brother was talking about. Um, so if you're anything like me, <laughs> I'm going to share <laughs> the definition of sedition before I ask him the first question, just to help set some context, set some mm-hmm. context. And before this interview, I specifically asked Pastor Sai, what is a word that you, that he felt is synonymous with sedition? And that's why I titled this Betrayal. I titled it betrayal because I felt mm-hmm. like people will understand betrayal, um, you know, in addition to sedition. So I'm going to read the definition of sedition out of his book, and then I'm going to throw my first question at Pastor Sai. So in the book, Pastor Sai defines sedition as an illegal action 
inciting resistance to lawful authority. Again, sedition is an illegal action inciting resistance to lawful authority and tending to cause the disruption or overthrow of the government. He also says that sedition is um, to undermine loyalty and birth betrayal. And again, that is directly out of the book. So my first question, um, Pastor Sai, is tell us about your new book and the inspiration behind it. Um, first of all, great question. And um, the word sedition rightly defined, we, we see it um, both taking place in governmental structures as well as the church. It also transpires itself in, in families, in marriages and different things like that. But because my calling has been to the church, because my calling has been to ministry, I've seen it work at a greater level within the church circles. I've seen um, churches that, that had that spirit of sedition working within the, the, the leadership circle. I've seen it working from the highest office down to the volunteers sometimes. And when you, when you see this thing manifesting itself or moving amongst the people, sometimes we don't really know what it is. Sometimes we just think it's human being, being mean, human beings, not wanting to follow rules, human beings um, having a problem because they were offended by somebody in the church and they just decide now to go um, wild in rebellion and, and come up against, you know, the I guess the teachings in the church, the culture of the church, the people that they are called to work alongside. And the challenge with that for me was as I began to see it, Rufus, over the years, even before you and I started walking together, um, I started noticing this thing manifesting in a way where so many people were getting hurt. Mm. And, here's, and here's the challenge. Here's the thing. Pastors were the ones that were getting, were getting hit at that time by this because what was happening was somebody got hurt somewhere by a previous church or a previous pastor or a previous situation. And that particular issue was never settled. There was no healing brought to it. Mm. And then the individual transitioned from that place to the next church, to where they thought they could utilize their giftings and bring it to life. And many people will come into these uh, um, churches with so much to offer. Their hearts are right, but this spirit of, of unforgiveness that has not been dealt with. This this thing of, I, I have to move to my next level. I have to, to position myself to experience God's best and God's greater for me. And they never get healed from their past hurts. When they come into the next church circle, they come in with all this pain, with all this feeling of rejection or an issue was not properly addressed before they left. And they come back and find this same issue somewhere within the um, paralegal, um, paraleader leadership circle, and they take offense again. And before you know it, they have a problem with the pastor. They start to, to raise uh, uh, um, backroom talks and conversation and disdain against the man of God, against the leadership that he has in place. And they have a problem with authority. 
So when we try to, to communicate downline what the vision of the church is, they don't receive it well. So I've, I've seen it happen so many times. I've also seen, and um, this reminds me of, a, of, a, of an African pastor who uh, had raised a, a, a group of people to serve with him. But there was a young man within that circle that um, because he had, I guess he had gone on to school and gotten a little bit more knowledge, he thought that he was beyond the pastor. And uh, he had a- arrived then when people began to to um, compliment him when he would teach or preach, uh, he started feeling like, you know, hey, you know, this is what the people want. And when the pastor would not recognize certain things with him at the time and tell him, you still have to endure the process, he didn't like it. So what he did was um, he started speaking in the ears of the people. And then what happened from there was they started coming his way. And in a, in a one Sunday, one week, he had a church split. So 50% of his people followed his cat down the street and, um, because he was able to stand at the door. And that in and of itself You'll find it in the stories and, and the text I have within the book on the spirit of Absalom and all of that kind of stuff. But making a long story short, as I began to see this happening, one day I started really wanting to check into it, you know, and um, man, why, why are so many churches closing down? Why are so many churches I'm hearing about that I knew where there are church splits taking place and, and pastors stepping down because, you know, um, there's a new person in, in, in charge now, somebody who spread some negativity about the man of God and, and things just started going awry. And all of a sudden we got somebody else that has started a church down the road that, that um, was birthed out of sedition, was birthed out of a rebellion against the former pastor, decided to step out and do their own thing. And not, I mean, these things were happening. Churches were closing. So I'm reading, I said, Father, what is it about this that's happening? And I get to Genesis, I mean, Galatians chapter five. And I see the word sedition. So I decided to look up sedition. Now, coming from a political family, <laughs> uh, I know what sedition is in politics. But sedition in terms of biblical context, what do you mean? You know, and in that same passage of scripture, we began to see where God lists out several things that he called the, the, the workings of the flesh. And sedition was one of them. So digging a little bit deeper, finding out the regular meaning, then I realized that that spirit, when it sets into the church, it it manifests in betrayal. It manifests in dissension. It manifests in rebellion. And it, it manifests that way because of the workings of the flesh. The individual is about himself. The individual is looking for his his selfish gain to be able to, to obtain power and to do certain things. So at all costs, they would do whatever it took. And that just spoke to me. And when I started reading and I started finding out more and more stuff, I was like, wow, this is serious in the church of God. So it inspired me to start writing. And at that time, working at, at, at um, the, the church in California, realized that I began to see some of that dissension and, and, and people walking away because they, they felt they were in um, getting where they needed to be and began to speak ill and different things like that. So it really prompted me to start writing. And uh, I started taking notes. I started digging more. 
I started trying to find out where sedition came from. And, and as the more I looked, I, I took me all the way back to, you know, uh, Lucifer in heaven. And, and from there, you know, I started reading and researching and started finding other places in the Bible to where I, I, I found about eight scriptures where God detests rebellion, detests seditious acts. And, and he didn't smile um, on that. And that's what inspired me to write the book because it was all around me. And I figure if we can bring this to light for leadership um, and pastors and um, servant leaders and congregations can figure out a, a system that we can work together and not be a divided house against the work of Satan, um, the church will succeed in these last days. So sat on it for a couple of years. And then in this pandemic, you know, God will sit you down to make you birth something. And I've been sitting down being pregnant and decided to push this first baby out. And that's what we have today. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, you know, Pastor Sai. That certainly sets the stage, you know, for our discussion tonight. And you've definitely answered, you know, what the book is about and how you got to a place of, of completing the work and, you know, the, the beautiful part about this, discuss this discussion is you and I have been shoulder to shoulder in rooms, in meetings, um, in multiple settings, mm. you know, where I'll say there's a temptation to submit, you know, yes. to the spirit of sedition. Yes. And create betrayal. So, so, so audience, this isn't an academic discussion. This is like mm -hmm. a literal discussion, y'all. This is not some mind thought or, or thing that's just abstract. It's very personal. It's very real. So, so with this next question, Pastor Sai, uh, um, I'm, I'm going to ask you, this is going to be a two-part question. And you've already somewhat answered it. Um, the, and the question is, how does the spirit of sedition typically manifest as betrayal in the local mm. church context? And, you, and you've you, you've started addressing that. Mm. But so my question is, how does it manifest and what is the best biblical response to the leader that senses within him or herself that they're being enticed by the spirit of sedition? Because the truth of the matter is, I believe God gives grace and sometimes that grace manifests in giving us an opportunity to get ourselves right. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? He, Absolutely. He, he, he allows us to kind of check and rebuke ourselves. So my question is, how does it manifest? And then secondly, how can a leader that's listening or, or, or whoever, a leader, you know, how, what can they do when they feel that urge or that temptation to just start being a mess? So, yeah. so, so, yeah, why don't you respond to that? Yeah. Great question. Great question, Rufus. Um, the manifestation of this spirit of, of betrayal, <clears throat> which births, we starts in the incubator of sedition. It starts there. The heart is the first place. Um, Take no thought saying, the Bible tells us. Um, it comes into the mind of the, of the individual or the leader 
when they maybe have seen something wrong or maybe they have experienced some form of rejection from the holy from from the from the man of god maybe maybe they like i said earlier people come in uh, uh and and they want to try to take control prompting um them to leave the church if their way is not giving there are so many talented people that comes that come to the house of god but here is the thing most people come to the house of god from a mental positioning not a spiritual positioning understand what i'm saying the house the local church is a spiritual clinic the local church is a god idea it's not a democracy it's not a it's not a thing where we get a chance to come in and begin to go contrary to what god is saying so when a person comes in with great ideas, great vision, and they're, and they're ready, they got to first learn what it means to be submitted to the overall um, rule. Some people don't know how to do that, Rufus. They, they really don't know what it means to submit. Does it mean I just lay down, you walk over me? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is your message is relevant, but there is a way by which you can present it in order for you to be able to become successful. There is a system that's in place for you to go through the training of cultivating yourself to fit within this new um, church walk that you're in when you go to another church. There is something there that drew you there. So the question has always been, why am I here? If you come, what am I going to do? So when you get there and you find out that there are some bumpy roads, there are some obstacles, maybe some red tape, you don't get frustrated. If your destiny is tied into this new school of thought, this new space of learning, you got to prepare yourself to learn. And some people don't want to go through the process. Amen. And when you look at when you look at the book, we, we talk about the, the spirit of Absalom. Absalom, who was the king's son living in the king's house, there was a problem that took place. But because the king did not address the issue. Absalom, over a period of time, found fault with his father and began to think that he could take over by standing at the gate. When we talk about standing at the gate, that means we're standing in the, in the place where we find the people. We can communicate with the people. We have charisma. We have the ability to touch them where they are. But you see, your, 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 your character, your talent can get you so far, but if you don't have, you don't have the, the trait to, to be able to grow to the next level, that's where you find betrayal coming in in a big way. Because now you're doing what you're doing to be able to achieve what your personal agenda is. Now you're forgetting what the overall agenda is and why God brought you there. That's one. The other thing that I see is that conflict arises among leaders. Like if I disagree with you in your thought or if I disagree with you in your presentation or if I came from the Greater Baptist Church of Episcopal Saints and, and Johnny over here is the is the one that's from the apostolic prophetic dominion church on the hill of the mountain of God. And I know how to scatter and kill demons and you just know how to say these simple impurgatory prayers over here. Now, all of a sudden now, because we come from two different um, schools of thought, we, we, we think that what we bring to the table don't matter. But here's the thing that we miss. The church in and of itself is the hand. The fingers are the members and the characters and the, and the office and the giftings that we all bring. But when we can bring it all together and find value in our cognitive diversity, 
This is what makes the church powerful. But a lot of people don't see that because they figure if my gift cannot be used, mm. I, can, I cannot work here. I cannot function here. Well, what if God wants you to sit down for 25 years like Abraham had to before the promise to him was birthed? We miss it sometimes because we tend to run ahead of the game. So see, betrayal becomes uh, um, on, the, on, the, on the servant leader side, whereby if things are not going the way it should for them, then they start the small talk. Then they start the fountain talk. Then they start to make comments like, well, you know, brother such and such and I went to the last show. She can't preach, but this, you know, this pastor will put him up there to preach. And when we start to look at little things and start to nitpick and think that we can do better, because at some point in time, we believe that that's what our calling is. This is one of the ways I've seen betrayal become to be. Now, all of a sudden now, you're ready to throw the pastor under the bus, or you're ready to throw that second or associate pastor or that leader that you're submitted to under the bus, because now they've come and, and, and done this. Here's another thing that I've seen um, betrayal come in, in the church. Sometimes some churches are falling, and because there was not a proper spiritual autopsy on a church and its structure mm -hmm. and things that were happening, the church is going down, but another church comes in and takes over to bring some structure to that body so that the flock would not be missing. There's a dialogue between the two leaders as to how it is we can work together to save God's people. But <laughs> what the church that's dying got a whole lot of people that are disgruntled about it. Then here comes these guys from the other side and they come and take over and we have a problem and we've never sat at the table to break bread to get to know each other. So you got a lot of Mephibosheth sitting at the table with their, with their pain and their ills covered up, whereby we got some, some leaders that are walking in like Jephthah, who is walking with David and is ready to slice and to kill and to handle anything that is of betrayal, and they bump heads. Betrayal kicks in. Now, when the pastor sees it and the pastor doesn't address it as it should be, bringing them together, betrayal is birth. The hearts mm. of the people feel like we've been betrayed, we've been sold out, and that's how that happens in the local church. Let's flip it, Rufus. Let's talk about the pastors. Pastors are confidants. Pastors are the ones that people are supposed to go to and share some of their ills and their pains. I've seen where pastors have heard from people in their down moments, but will stand on the pulpit and preach a sermon that speaks and pictures the exact same thing they just heard from the person sitting in the congregation. It hurts. It hurts. And, and the person now will say, man, I, I can't trust you. And betrayal comes from the lack of trust. Betrayal comes from greed. Betrayal comes from this, this deliberate act to, to, to down another person so that you can feel important. Okay, I've seen pastors downplay other members of the church just to feel like they were important. And they had to do it that way to hide their, their personal insecurities. Same thing. So we find it with the congregant who will come in, be close to the pastor, be close to the leader, be close to, 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 to people. And then when, they, when things don't go the way they want it to go, they break away saying things that are, that are just absolutely detrimental. And, and, and it comes out of pain.
it comes out of unforgiveness. And then the same thing with the pastor, because I want to maintain my position of clout. I want to retain my position of power. When I get around people who, who, who are well-trained, who are well-learned, and maybe have the skill set, I have to look down on them or downplay their giftings just to make myself feel good. Another reason why betrayal is found in the church. So, yeah, yeah, that's how it manifests. When these things are happening uh, uh, um, within the the, the leadership, and then it starts to spread throughout the church like a virus. So so tell me this, because I'm I'm glad you flipped it and talked about, you know, some of the negative seeds, you know, that pastors sow. Because that was going to be my question as you were, you know, ministering is I feel like, and, and this is a quote uh, also from the book you all, Pastor Sai said in his research, statistically, 70% of all churches in America were birthed out of the spirit of sedition. I'll say that again. 70% of all churches in America were birthed out of the spirit of sedition. So with that in mind, Pastor Sai, I feel as though some senior pastors are trying to reap, watch this, a harvest that they didn't sow into. Ah, Because, ah. you know, and we know what Genesis 8 says, you know what I mean, regarding seed Mm -hmm. time and harvest time, because Mm -hmm. it's almost Mm -hmm. like if loyalty is not in the character of the senior leader, can they reap loyalty within the organizational structure of their local church. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Is that, and I know again, through God's grace, yes, but what do you think about that where, you know, a leadership is trying to reap something that they're not practicing or sowing themselves? First of all, um, they've just set themselves up for a downfall. Let Let me put it this way. The statistic simply says to us in in simple terms that the spirit that a church begins with is the spirit that the church continues in. And, and, And if you began the church out of sedition, out of betrayal, out of um out of hurt, that spirit will be the prevalent spirit in the house. That spirit will attract similar and like spirits in the house. So so when the person never settled the issue with the previous place that he's coming from, didn't deal with it, but then goes on and decide that they are going to start a church on their own because, ah, Mr. Johnson down the road, Pastor Johnson didn't do me right and so forth. You know, God has called me to do this. Guess what? If God didn't send you and you decided to go based upon ill feelings, you set yourself up. For a downfall, because there is somebody in that church that would do the exact same thing to you. Hear me when I say this. Churches birthed out of betrayal or sedition never last long. Now, when the pastor comes in now, knowing that he just raised rebellion, he just created uh, chaos in the house. He just stood upon James um, 3.16 that talks about strife and confusion happening in the house, the disorder of it, which will create pandemonium. And then you take half of the church or you leave the church with that same spirit and create a church, that spirit will prevail in your new church. 
And oftentimes, Rufus, when we started looking at the statistics and I started seeing a lot of these churches closing, it was because of that. When we started, when we started um, growing, we noticed that people came from various churches and various denominations. They came from all over because I guess we were the hottest thing on the block at the time. But you notice it began to dwindle down because a lot of people didn't find their right footing. A lot of people didn't find a place to fit. Okay, so, right so I, I don't know exactly where we left up, but I'll say this. A church that's birthed out of a spirit of this sedition or spirit of betrayal continues to work in that particular spirit. If there's been no repentance, if there's been no um, going back and settling the issue, you know, from when they left. A church that that is that, now don't get me wrong, listen to me carefully. If where you're coming from, the pastor himself was not right. The pastor didn't do right by the people. The pastor was was not following God's mandate for that time. We saw we saw the mindset of God to to the word they might preach, but they were living another lifestyle that was contradictory to what it was the Bible was teaching. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have every right to separate yourself from that. That's that's valid grounds, especially when you can you can speak to it with the pastor. You can bring it to the table. Now, if you bring it to the table and he rejects what you are saying because he thinks he he is he is God's call, then you step away and let God deal with him. But you don't put your mouth on him. You don't say nothing. You step away. Don't go start another church if God never called you to start a church. See, that's the problem we're having today. So many people are starting churches that God never called you to. Listen to me when I say this to you. When God calls you to, to, to do a great work, he is the one that's going to foot the bill. He is the one that's going to help you gather the circle, bring the team together, build. Now, he's going to tell you this. Many people are going to come to that ministry to teach you as the pastor as well because they're coming in broken ways. They're coming depressed. They're coming in debt. They're coming despondent. They're coming with discontent. But the goal of it all is that if we work together by the word of God, it is supposed to bring deliverance to all of us. So, so, so when you talk about it, Rufus, and that how do our how do our leadership learn how to, to pay attention to this spirit? You don't you don't birth the church out of sedition. You birth the church because God called you to. You birth the church because that calling has always been on your life. If you have a if you have a leader that's over you, that's been kind to you, has been teaching you certain things, and maybe he got you in the in the in the in the in the school of learning a thought, maybe you need to go through that and prepare yourself, okay, and learn from that leader. I'm praying that that's what leadership is going to be about as pastors, as apostles, as teachers, that we are there to teach and equip you so that you can go about doing the work of the ministry. That's what we're there for. But if we don't follow that, man of God, we don't follow that. What we do is we, 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 we allow a lot of injured leaders or a lot of injured, ill-prepared men and women of God to go out there and, and, and recreate a clinic that is worse than the one they just left. So if your clinic, if your clinic cannot even seem to, to provide the necessary uh, um, prognosis and, and things that we need for our healing, 
what we are doing now is creating a bunch of retarded spiritual babies going out there and preaching the wrong word, doing the wrong thing, injuring more people. And today, what we're finding in the world today, in this particular 21st century, that's why a lot of people don't want to come to the church. Because there's too many hurting people hurting people and not demonstrating the true love of God. Because God never called most of them to be pastors. That's never good. did. That, that, that's good. And, and I also feel like, you know, just kind of confirm what you're saying. I feel like, you know, earlier on, you know, in the local church in previous decades and generations, I feel like the thought was that if a person was gifted, that automatically equated to the pastoral mm. role. So if mm. you can preach, um, you can pastor and, and you and I know those words are not synonymous, you know, and just because you can prophesy does not mean that you're called to pastor. You know, if you can, if you're an evangelist, maybe you have the gift of the evangelist, but that doesn't automatically equate to being a pastor. And I feel like sometimes some people were pushed forward, you know, by people. You yeah, know, because absolutely. they had a gift, how they, you know, they had this package, absolutely. the charisma, like you said, and sometimes to no fault of their own, they were doing what they thought they were supposed to do, mm -hmm. only finding that they may not have the grace to, to fulfill, you know, that responsibility. So I just wanted to throw that in there. But but let me get to my next question here. Um you know, we're talking about sedition, we're talking about betrayal, we're talking about all these symptoms, but what systems can be put in place to combat this common occurrence? What can mm. pastors, leaders, and congregants do to protect themselves and their church? You know, mm. what, what what can be done? Whew. Um, I think I think that's a journey. That's a journey in and of itself that we as pastors will really have to spend some time, um, spend some time seeking God's face on. Listen to why I say that. Rufus, the church has changed. The dynamics of the church has changed. I was reading in, in, in scripture the other day and it's in Acts and said, in these last days, there will be a revisiting of the church of Acts, of the book of Acts. And when we look at our time today, we're seeing that more and more now, the bigger edifice are, are now on lockdown, but we're finding out that the, the real work of ministry now is happening from the home. We're starting to communicate by way of, of technology to, to, to people in different places in different times, um, zones. And that's what's happening. Now, what systems can we put into place to combat the common occurrence? Number one, number one, um, I would say that uh, I believe the first thing we need to start with is prayer and discernment about who should be in church leadership. Prayer and discernment. You mentioned that we have seen, and yes, we have, that people will come and they will bring certain documentation and will say, I've been here, done this and this and that, and immediately because we're trying to fill a void, because we're trying to put people in and get them engaged and rightly consolidated within ministry, we just place them without, without proper prayer, without proper discernment, without getting them um, involved somewhere that will create a process of development, That's a good. process of, 
of exposing that spiritual gifting they bring. That's you know, true. companies put you through an onboarding system. Companies put you in a probationary period when they hire you. Your resume says one thing, but then we put you in to do the job and we find out that competency doesn't align with, with character. So if, if, the, if, the, if the organization can do that, I see no reason why the church shouldn't. Let me tell you something. The Bible says, whatever you find to do, put your hands to, do it and do it with everything that you have. Do it as unto God. Are you placing people in position to carry out this vision as unto God? Have you spent time, pastors, with God about the people that are in your leadership or, or, or coming and saying to you, I want to be engaged in this form of ministry? Prayer is absolutely essential to, to how it is we select the people that we put into place. Another system that we need to put into place and do it well, because, you know, I, I noticed that our discipleship programs or our discipling of our next leaders was, was, a, was, a, was a six weeks class. You know, discipleship is an ongoing thing. Discipleship is something that happens each and every day. You understand? So, so, so when you don't properly prepare your people and develop them and help them to identify their ills, their struggles, their inadequacies as a leader, if we don't show them as leaders our, our, our personal flaws, our inadequacy, if we're not transparent and authentic with the people that are following us, we create a problem whereby these people begin to put us on a pedestal and think that we are not faulty. But every pastor, every human being in leadership is faulty. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and prayer is where our deliverance comes from. Discernment is something that we must have at all times. We want to apply what we call due diligence at all levels. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and, and 18. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to keep your eyes on those who cause dissension and create mm -hmm. obstacles or introduce temptation for others to sin, acting in ways contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Turn away from them, for such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their appetites and base desires. Both smooth and flattery speech, they deceive hearts of the unsuspecting, the innocent and the naive. This is what you will create. If you don't do your due diligence as to who it is you need to put in leadership over your flock, because all of us cannot do that. When the apostles got ready in, in, in the book of Acts to begin to move to the next level for the expansion of the church, they said, find seven amongst you that are spirit filled, that know how to pray and, 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 and understand the word of God and let them be the one that we will train and prepare to be able to work with the people. That's a system, assimilation, uh, uh, consolidation, discipleship. And when they graduate as they grow, then we know now that we can put them properly into positions where now we can send them to teach and to do the same thing, to, to help and to be uh, uh, functional in areas of ministry that is in alignment with their spiritual giftings. 
And the last thing, we want to um, we want to be serious about how we we implement certain processes. Okay, certain processes that will allow people to to go through a development or waiting period to build character. It's going to form character. Um, and, 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 and we can see that beyond your talent, that certain traits are there that are necessary for the growth of the ministry. And then here's the other part for pastors. And I'm speaking for myself too, brother. If you see an individual who, must, who may have multiple talents, but they may not know how to, to, to activate that talent or begin to cultivate those talents and nurture it so that it can help them to blossom in ministry, it is incumbent upon the pastor not to drop the person because they don't respond at the time they shoot in the beginning. You are a nurturer. You are a teacher. You are a developer. The Bible says when one of the sheep is in trouble, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and he finds that one sheep. Why? Because that one sheep is as valuable as the rest of the flock. But what we're finding out is because we don't have systems in place to help the broken, to help the limited, to help the ones that need our help, okay, in developing, we we then we then will will shame them or we then will will treat them wrong. And that's a betrayal in and of itself. So the systems I will call for are systems that are based upon prayer, systems that we must we must take them to for deliverance and development and preparation systems that will help them to understand what the culture of that church is and the spirit of the living God um, that is existing in the pastor. Teach them how to catch the spirit of the pastor. Teach them to understand the vision. Disciple them for as long as they are breathing, you know, and functioning in that church. Discipleship is the thing. And last but not least, put a system in place that will help you to properly position people in the right place that they need to be so they don't get burned out, so they don't get frustrated, and that they can do the right thing in ministry and grow. Got it. Got it. Nah, man, that, that's on point, man, because I feel like, you know, the systems, you know, being in place are are so critical in this. And this is one thing I know about systems, and you know me, Pastor Sai. Oh, Yeah. Systems protect leadership and they also protect the flock. The yes, it does. So that's the thing is we can't build systems that are are dependent on one person being perfect and flawless. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and this leads into my next question because a lot of what you said, you know, it, it assumes that you know the leader is moving in discernment, moving in wisdom, moving in character, moving in all of this stuff, but we know that's not always true. So my question is, you know, what about when the congregation feels betrayed and mm-hmm. rightfully so? We understand mm-hmm. that church mm-hmm. hurt sometimes isn't warranted, but sometimes it is. And and let's just let's just be real because, you know, over the last decade or two we have seen congregations be betrayed, you know, from leaders, you know, be it a financial scandal, uh, be it sexual scandal, uh, you know, be it, you know, I mean, we've even, you know, seen, you know, just some tragic things happen 
you know, with within our local churches and within denominations. You know what I mean? So when that type of stuff happens, when the congregation and the leaders just feel betrayed and rightfully so, what should be the response of those congregants and of those leaders? Because usually those congregants and leaders, they really don't have a voice Mm-hmm. to be able to express that betrayal. So they're usually put in a position where, you know, they take it into their prayer room and try and be led, you know, be restored, be healed, et cetera. But what, how should they respond? Because I don't want, you know, people to think that, you, you, you know, that, that, that it doesn't flow both ways because we know it does. So yes, can you speak to that? Can you speak to that? Um, let me preface it by saying to all of us, and, and, it, and it might and it might offend some people. And personally, I don't care, but it's the it's the truth. If God put him there, he's him, not or her. Him, him or her, him or her. <laughs> if God put them there, it's still God's choice. Correct. We have to understand that they're human beings. I think somewhere where we find ourselves flawed is that because they're there, and because they they might be good in their giftings we tend to almost equate them as God. We put them on a pedestal as if to say they cannot be flawed. Understand what I'm saying. God put them there, and I'm speaking from a position whereby if the pastor is God's man, if God put him there and he did that, I promise you, the church has the ability to to convene and call for a meeting because it's according to law. When we when we dealing with sedition, we're dealing with the breaking of law. When you when you're betraying, now is the time for you to interject. It's time for you to bring and exercise your legal right as mm. part of that congregation to speak to the ills that you see, and and we can do it without harming That's the man good. of God, without harming the leadership. Understand, he is he is still God's man, but he is over this flock. Therefore, the flock will rise and say, you've done this to us, and we think that we, we deserve an answer. We, we need to hear from you. Now, if the man of God chooses not to respond to, to, to the callings of the flock in whom God put him over, again, remember now, Rufus, this is not his church. This is still God's church. This is still God's idea for the community and where he placed it. So, so, so he has to comply to God's mandate And let me say this, every mandate is a precursor to a mindset. If he brings a mindset contrary to the mindset of God for that body of believers, it is is the people's right to exercise and say, Father, he needs to come to the table and face his own judgment call. God is the one that's going to take it from him. God is the one that's going to deal with him in the process. That's one. Now, let's go the other way. If God didn't put him there and he has been fleecing the people, taking what he can, doing all the things that he knowingly is wrong and doing, it is the people's right to vote him out. Let's let's not let's not even sugarcoat it because some pastors have, have come up with this thing of, well, this is my church. No, it's not. This is not your church. It is an opportunity that you were called to function in by God who thought of you as somebody who's qualified to do so. 
Now, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, it is God who will remove you and God will remove you to his flock, mm. to his people. I remember when Ivy Hillier once said, he said, one time his church rose up against him for an issue. He got up on the pulpit and he preached mm. a sermon that, that went straight to the deacons. When he got through and went into the office and he felt in himself that he had done something because you know what he did? He preached out of his flesh, not, yeah. the, not the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he yeah. hurt so many people, okay, in the process. God told him, what you have done, you have crippled, you have, you have hindered my flock. You will not be pastor here anymore. By the next morning, he was gone. We, we have to understand that this is God's work, not ours. And if God put us there, God will remove us. What I'm saying to you, Rufus, is this. When we look at the church today, the man of God that's over the church that is there and humbly serving and doing what he's supposed to do, if he falls, and if he humbly comes before the body and says, this is my flaw, this is what I've done, I go back to what Jesus said on the cross. <laughs> Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God chastises his own. God is the one that would deal with him. The body has to come together and pray for that person, but that person will leave, Rufus. They will leave if their heart is right, if they knew that what they have done is wrong. If they don't, then that's a different story. Then we exercise our legal rights to vote him out based upon this jurisdictional order that we are functioning in as the church. We vote them out. We don't have to badmouth them. We don't have to downplay them because what's going to happen is that the, the, the spirit of, 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 of um, wrongdoing or the spirit of guilt will rest heavily on them like it happened for Judas. And Judas eventually hung himself. Let, let that spirit, let that Holy Spirit convict them. Let, let the spirit begin to, to, to deal with them for their ills, to hurting the people of God because they thought they could get away with it. Let God deal with it, you know. Um, and then we have to exercise if the person is trying to exercise authority and say, you know what, I am the pastor and you guys can tell me what to do. It's the legal right of us to remove them if they have violated the people, if they've hurt them in any way that, that is contradictory to what we have learned in leadership to the book of Timothy and how it is we're supposed to lead God's people. That's what I feel. Amen. Amen. Um, Amen. Now, that's powerful. That, 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 that's powerful, man. Um, we're running short on time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you one more question. And then we're going to take some questions from the audience. And, you know, after reading the book, you know, and thank you for allowing me to read the book. You know, one of the things that I was reminded of is sometimes in the local church and within church leadership, expectations aren't always clearly communicated mm. and mm. clearly identified. And I feel like a senior pastor will have expectations on a said leader. And then that leader also has some level of expectation on their senior leader. But 
I feel like this whole sedition and betrayal conversation, some of the breaches happen because of unmet expectations. Absolutely. So just at a high level, what do you think are healthy expectations on both sides? You know, what should be a healthy expectation that a senior pastor will have on their leader and that leader have on their senior pastor? Okay. Good, good question. Um, be, before I, before I say anything, let me say this. Um, first of all, um, to, to everybody out there, pastors and, 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 and leaders, servant leaders, every vision has four main components to it. Okay. For a church, um, a vision must bring clarity. A vision must be, uh, uh, intentional. A vision must show purpose and a vision must be, um, uh, uh, relative or realism, bring some realism to the table. Clarity. Clarity is supposed to be demonstrated in every aspect of the ministry when it comes to um, expectation. Like you said, if it's not rightly communicated, if it's not clear for certain people, then they tend to go off on a tangent trying to do it the way they think or interpret it to be. That's why I, I said earlier that um, constant uh, discipleship and constant communication within the body of Christ is what the, is what helps the church to grow with clarity. Because when we when we're constantly coming back to the board and revisiting what that vision is or what the assignment is, it's very hard for us to miss it down line. We in the high position of leadership, we have to know how to communicate clearly down line. We have to be intentional that this is what we say, this is what we mean so that there's no gray area. The God that we serve is a very direct God. He's very clear on what he says. Therefore, we too must learn how to be very clear as to, as to what God is saying and so what he's doing for the church. Now, expectation for me will be on both sides is to never expect the pastor to be God and the pastor to never expect you to be, to be you know, people that when he says jump, you say hi, hi that we must look at each other as human beings first. The human being factor is important. The pastor is a human and he will miss it sometimes. Okay. We must also recognize that he is chosen by God and not you. So let God handle him in the process, but, but still approach him as a, as, as God's man privately. Um, some of my best conversations with, with men of God that I've served, I served, I, I, I communicated my frustration with them in the back room. I communicated my frustration with them uh, and in a way where I covered their flaws, but I still spoke my position. And, and sometimes it was not so much for me, it was for the people that they were serving and, and what they said that I, I thought was offensive to people and pointed out you know, some of the things that the people responded to from what was said or how the pastor acted, but I did it with respect to his inadequacies and, and also addressed the issue in a way where um, I didn't let go. I was, I was intentional about what I was saying because that was how we were gonna bring about a resolve to it. And if we didn't confront it, we wouldn't solve it because there's another generation following us, Rufus, and if we don't take time to clean house the right way and prepare things the right way, when they come along, they will mess up some stuff. The other thing is we got to we got to learn to follow the word of God as it pertains to leadership. 
what does the Bible teach us, teach us about right leadership, the kind of leadership that will be able to sustain the movement of the vision? Even after we're gone, how does that come into play? So, so we have to recognize that. Pastors have to recognize that the servant leaders are, are their responsibilities to cultivate the best trait for utilizing their gifts in the church. You got to recognize their struggles because they are people who are following you and they're people who are coming to you may not know as much as you do, but they are coming to learn from you. Again, like I said, the church is God's um, idea of the educational center within a community. So everything in the church is supposed to be designed to educate us, to take us out of our struggles and help us to be stronger in what it is that we're supposed to do according to the word of God. We uh, um, pastors need to, to, to not dismiss, listen to me, not dismiss the spiritual giftings that these people will bring to them on a person, you know, because of personal insecurities and inadequacies. Now I, 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 I might have a, a doctoral, you might have a doctoral, but we might be serving a man of God that may have never gone to college, but he has an anointing on him. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes that's intimidating to some pastors. Um, one church I served in, the, the pastor was, was intimidated by that, you know? So it's almost like I had to water down in order to, to meet him where he was to talk to him. But I did it in a way where it came out of love and it came out of to, to say that you're still God's man. And I know he called you because of the things that I saw happening. Um, Pastors have to be transparent before their leaders. They must see both the anointing and the human frailties that these people bring to the table. Jesus demonstrated both power and his pain. You know, he demonstrated his power and his pain before his disciples. He was absolutely transparent before his disciples. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we have to be transparent too, you know, as pastors. And last but not least, we want to... Um, we, we don't want to downplay the express pain that people bring to us. When someone, a person is, I, I don't care how big the church is, systems should be in place to where people can come and really sit down and have the dialogue. Because remember now, Rufus, we're in a spiritual clinic. We're in a place where there are so many broken people coming in, so many people that are struggling from certain ills. And healing comes through love. And healing comes sometimes through the dialogue. Can we have the dialogue? Churches don't talk about the psychological dysfunctions that people are suffering from. Churches don't talk about the medical issues that are, so many people are coming to the church with and, and, and coming to deal with. Churches don't talk about, uh, uh, you know, the, the brokenness in a man that's in a broken marriage and how it is that we should solve the problem. We, 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 we choose what we really want to dialogue about overall, but it's incumbent upon leadership to be prepared to speak to those issues. And because, because, that's what you have in your flock, a multiplicity of ills, a multiplicity of, of craziness and, 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 and all kinds of stuff happening. So you have to prepare yourself to address those issues because they all come with the body of Christ. That's you know? good. That's, that, that's good, brother. I mean, I feel like, you know, you really helped us all out. You know what I mean? And I feel like what you're saying about the leadership model of Jesus, I feel like if senior leaders could really try and embody mm. you know, those principles, I feel like some of this stuff, you know, would not happen. You know what I mean? And I'm yes, reminded no. of the, I'm, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul. And we were just talking about on Tuesday night in Bible study where the Apostle Paul said, 
imitate me as I imitate, imitate Christ. Christ. Absolutely. So, so the apostle Paul was telling his followers that Christ is the standard for himself as, you know, the, the set man or the man of God. And he was saying that Christ is the standard, you know, for the disciple or for the pupil or for the local church. Absolutely. Um, and, and in making that statement, I feel like it takes the gaze off of flesh and it helps us tap into, you know, at the end of the day, serving one another, you know, so that the body can be edified and so that the body can flourish and be healthy. You yes, know sir. what I mean? Yes, sir. You, you, yes, you, sir. As I, you remember when, when Dr. Samuel Chan came through, yes, you know, sir. with that healthy church, church book, book and the yeah, revelation yeah. thereof. Yeah. And I feel like that unlocked so many leadership discussions, you know, for us, mm-hmm. for our local church and just leaders all around the globe. Yeah. And I feel like this discussion regarding sedition is is right there. It, it, it It's right there because at the end of the day, the body the bride of Christ needs to be healthy. Absolutely. Um, so, Absolutely. so with that, man, we, we, so listeners, if you have a question, I'm, I want you to put it in the chat and, and pastor Sai, our sister, uh, uh, our sister, Cheryl sweat, the, you know, the great woman of God, she posted a question earlier. So we're going to go to her question first. And her question is, and, and I don't have it in front of me, but it essentially said, how important is it to have a deliverance ministry in the local church in light of this whole conversation about betrayal mm. and sedition? Mm. Mm. It, it, it is absolutely important. It is absolutely important because here's the thing. If, if, if there's not healing in the house of God, mm, that's good. If there's not healing in the house of God, uh, 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 Minister, Minister Sweat, then, then the people can't grow. It, it's it's kind of hard to, 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 to watch a dog with a broken leg. And if, if we don't straighten out the leg and let that dog just continue to go, we limit that dog to what it's able to do in its full capacity. And, and when, when, when we understand God's word to be a healing word, deliverance, the Bible tells us, is the children's bread. That's what does good. that mean? That's it good. means that deliverance is something that is ongoing. Deliverance is something that we must always partake of in the body of Christ, that, that our healing is contingent upon uh, um, uh, our growth. If we, if, if we don't if we don't find a way to heal our ills, if we don't address the issues of the of the church that's coming to us as leaders and say, you know what, what we have learned, that this is what God has taught us. I like the fact that Rufus went to Paul because Paul will always have the conversation about his own inadequacies. What I thought to do, I didn't do. When I wanted to do this, I ended up doing the wrong thing. You understand what I'm saying? So so we can learn from Paul's problem. Here is the other reason why deliverance is important. Each one of us have not fully been uh, uh, perfected. The Bible says he's perfecting those things concerning us. That's good. So, So when we ever get to the place where we think we have arrived, that's when we cause a problem in the feeding of the flock. 
because we are feeding the flock with a broken arm that has still not been healed. We're feeding the flock with a broken heart that has still not been healed, you know, and, and eventually it will show up in our actions. It will show up in what we say and what we do and how we treat people. We have to experience the full healing in order to grow to the next level. So deliverance is important because it is the bread for the children. It is That's the bread good. for the house of God. It is what God has given us to continue to feed the brokenhearted, the people that are lost, the people that come knocking on our door to say, help. That's good. Help. That's good, brother. You you, 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 you own it. You in your bag tonight, brother. You in your bag. Um, we got another question here from, from a good friend, Pastor Cedric Nelms. He asks, and I'll put it on the screen, he asks, when you have systems in place and have defined the vision, the vision, how do you manage the betrayal of selected leaders leaving the ministry mission field? How, how does a senior pastor deal with that? How do you manage that? Oh, Pastor Nelms, great question. Pastor Nelms, great question. Let me, let me first of all say this, that you have to understand the God that you serve, Right. And 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 I will go to to Cora. Cora is in Cora is in my book, The Spirit of Cora. Certain leaders may not comprehend the vision thoroughly. Certain leaders, because of a mindset that they cannot seem to separate themselves from, you got systems and everything in place to help them, but they just can't seem to be delivered from what they used to be. Mm. But, uh, man of God, two things going to happen. They're leaving the church because God is making room for the next group to come That's that will good. understand vision. <laughs> or they will still there, they will stay, stay there and die in that in their in their in their prison mindset. Um, I want you to hear me when I say you continue to persist in teaching them how to follow the system, how to exercise that system, how to follow the rules and and to implement it because your God is not a God of disorder. Your God is not a God that, 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 that functions, you know, out of chaos. God will organize and then bring things to pass. That's how God works. But the devil now, when he gets a hold of some of these leaders, the devil's workshop is chaos. So they have to create the chaos in order to feel like they're contributing to something in the house, not knowing what they're doing is they're digging a big enough hole that they will eventually get buried in. So if they if they leave, let them go. People will come and people will go, but the work of the Lord will remain the same. The word of God will be everlasting. And this vision, as for we pass, will continue. Amen. So I believe that God, when he's ready, he will remove who needs to be removed to prevent the leadership from being tortured, or, or, or harassed by certain people. If they figure that maybe they got something better and they want to leave because they don't want to follow order, please let them go. That's good. Let them go. That's let good. them go. Bless them while they're going so they don't get destroyed along the way. Yeah. That they will fulfill their destiny. Do it in love. Simple. Amen. Amen. We're going to take two more questions, man, and we already got them queued up. Uh, this is from uh, Monique. She asks, God tells us to repent daily is because none of us are perfect. If we would remember to do this, 
um, do you believe that this will keep us humble and less critical of one another? Ah, absolutely. We know, we, we know that spirit of criticism is on some <laughs> of our beloved brothers and sisters. Churches can't do nothing right. So, so what you think? What, what you think? Well, first of all, I'm going to say you're looking at a misfit. Uh, Rufus is a misfit. Um, almost every person that you really look in the Bible that God called to do this work is a misfit. We all have our challenges, but thank God for his mercy and his grace to, to, to look upon us and to say that, that we are even worthy to be called um, in this time and season to do anything. Um, I believe that if we continue to persist in, in praying a prayer of repentance, Father, forgive me, um, if you, because you would know when you've done something to offend a person, you would know in your heart when, sure. when you've done something wrong to an individual and, and, and may the Lord speak to you and may the spirit of David fall on you to repent quickly and go to that person and say, Hey, listen, forgive me if I've done something wrong. Forgiveness is, is such an important and valuable thing for us as children of God. It will give us access into the, into the, into the realm of the spirit and give us access into the kingdom of God. But when we continue persisting in the flesh, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter five that we will not see the kingdom of heaven. So repentance on a daily basis or simply going to God and saying what David says in, in, in Psalms 51 and 10, created me a clean heart, O Lord, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for what I've done wrong against my brother, my sister. And then you go to that same brother and sister and say, hey man, I, I want to apologize for how I acted towards you the other day. That will not only keep us humble, but it will keep us growing in the things of God, growing as like Christ, That's good. Who, who is the one that we're following today. That's good. That's good. Praise God. Praise God. Well, Monique, you, you got your got your response there. Excellent response. Um, this last question um is 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 from valerie and she asks how do you deal with leaders that are nasty and mean-spirited when you talk to the pastor and they say that's just how they are how should a congregant or a servant leader how should they respond to that you know churches churches where you see the pastor doesn't even want to confront that issue and will make a statement like oh that's how they are that's unacceptable that, that speaks volume about the pastor, Valerie. It, it speaks volume about the fact that they, they, they're very nonchalant. And a, mm -hmm. and, a, and a pastor is not supposed to be nonchalant. A pastor is supposed to be progressive and persistent in making sure that how Jesus lived his life here on earth is, is, is essentially being demonstrated before the people. If your brother does you wrong, the Bible tells us to go ahead and address them. If they choose not to listen or respond in kind, the Bible says, then you go and you get a witness. If you bring that witness and the witness doesn't want to respond, then you take it to the elders and take it before that. Let me tell you something. If you know that that's where God placed you and you know that that's the house God wants you to be in and you know that that's where the Lord has called you to work, do not be afraid to take it to the highest level possible and let your voice be heard and do it in a way where there's respect do it in a way where there, there is something simply saying to bring attention to something that if it's not addressed properly, could hurt so many other people in the church. Okay? There's nothing wrong with that. I personally have done that myself. I didn't stop until I got to where the pastor heard me, and, and eventually we addressed the issue. 
but I confronted the person. The person didn't want to listen. I went and brought another of his of his of his of of his cohorts, and we had the conversation to try to solve the problem. The person still didn't want to listen. Then I took it to the elders. And the elders got to it. We began to really talk about it. And we realized that there were other people who brought those complaints about mm-hmm. that individual to the pastor. And then we went to the pastor. What happened? The pastor eventually had, instead of saying, oh, that's the way he is, was eventually, he eventually said, that's the way it is. And we're going to address it today because it's time for a change. Thank you for tuning in to the Rufus Chambers podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast by hitting the subscribe button and connect with us on all social media platforms.